Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. On the program today, Russian invasion. Russian troops pour across Ukraine's borders, shell cities, kill civilians. How far will the West go to stop it? Russian violence, aggression, and violation of international law will not go unpunished. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Will cutting off certain Russian banks from the world's main financial payment system have an immediate impact? Will Canada now ship more lethal weapons to Ukraine? We get the latest from the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, and we'll speak with Canada's Ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray. Then, fighting back. We have survived and are successfully repelling enemy attacks. Ukraine's president refuses to evacuate, saying, I need ammo, not a ride. What else does Ukraine need right now from the West? And what's the latest from the battleground? Ukraine's representative to Canada joins us. Plus, economic fallout. This is going to be a much longer-term increase in the price of all commodities. Will war in Europe spike inflation? What can governments do to shield themselves from the fallout of the Russian war? The former governor of the Bank of Canada, Stephen Polaz, joins us on his timely new book, The Next Age of Uncertainty. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Russian forces continue to pour across the border in the war to take over Ukraine. It's been four days since Russia launched this unprovoked attack and this war. But today, Ukraine continues to fight and push back. Overnight, Russian troops advanced into Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, where there are now reports of street fighting. The capital, Kyiv, has been shelled. Fighting around that city and in the city continues, but it does remain under Ukrainian control. Since Thursday, explosions have been reported across the entire country as Russian tanks, troops and air force move in from the north, the south and the east. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has been on the streets in the capital, delivering extraordinary battlefront messages. We have survived and are successfully repelling enemy attacks. Fighting goes on in many cities and districts of our country, but we know we're defending our land and the future of our children. His words this weekend, when asked by the United States to evacuate for his own safety, were, I need ammunition, not a ride. So. How far will Russia go? CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman, joins us with the latest from Lviv. In a video message this morning, Ukraine's president said the country went through another brutal night of Russian attacks. Kyiv, the capital city, is still holding. But this morning, Russian troops entered the second largest city, Kharkiv. That's a significant setback. Ukraine has accused Russia of attacking civilian targets, a major oil terminal on the outskirts of Kyiv, was hit overnight, sending a big mushroom cloud into the sky. Some people thought it was a nuclear blast. Uh, Vladimir Putin made a dubious offer of peace talks to be held in Belarus, which of course is a key Russian ally and a major staging point for the invasion. Ukraine said yes to talks, but certainly not in Belarus, so that's a non-starter. And Germany has announced that it will send 1,000 anti-tank weapons and 500 Stinger missiles to Ukraine. That's a big commitment for a country held back by non-aggression laws and, of course, its own wartime history. Bottom line here, how long can Kyiv, the capital city, withstand the Russian onslaught? It, of course, is the big prize for Vladimir Putin, whose country faces 
international isolation and severe economic fallout, Evan. Meantime, Canada has joined the rest of the Western Alliance and slapped three rounds of sanctions on Russia on banking, halting all export permits, and now sanctions on Vladimir Putin himself. Canada has also now joined allies in kicking certain Russian banks out of something called SWIFT. That is the international banking transaction system. This is a major economic blow to Russia and a stunning new development late Saturday night. Canada is also sending military aid to Ukraine. Canada is deploying 460 troops to Latvia. That's to reinforce a commitment to NATO, and it's now put 3,400 troops on standby for NATO as well. It's also sending a frigate, HMCS Halifax, and a CP-140 Aurora patrol plane. Canada's lethal aid, worth nearly $7 million, has also been sent to Ukraine. But what else is Canada prepared to do? And when Vladimir Putin said any Western interference may lead to consequences never seen in your entire history, was that a nuclear threat. Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Melanie Jolie. Minister, uh, thank you for joining us on obviously critical moments. Canada has announced new sanctions on Friday, even against Vladimir Putin. Allies, including Canada, Canada's been one of the leads on this, have now agreed to boot Russian banks out of SWIFT, which is the international banking transaction system. What impact will that have? Well, our goal, and I'll be very blunt, is to suffocate the Russian regime. Uh, we know that people that took this decision, Putin himself and his close guard, need to pay a price. And our best way right now is to put maximum pressure on the economy, on oligarchs, and uh, like I mentioned, Putin's close guard. So we sanction Putin himself, his foreign minister Lavrov, the minister of justice, the minister of finance, and also the minister of defense. We've also... Uh, at this point, sanctioned all of the Duma members, so mm. that's the Russian parliament, that voted in, in favor of the so-called independent uh, territories in the eastern Ukraine that they uh, recognized. And so we are continuing by really looking at many, many options because we want to make sure that we're isolating and, Russia. Okay. Now, now, the SWIFT, though, was a new development late Saturday night, and I know uh, this morning there's going to be more... Uh, announcements on that. But but does that have increasingly, as you say, you're, you're trying to isolate and choke off the Russian economic regime there. Um, what new impact will SWIFT have? Well, it will isolate Russian banks. They won't be able to communicate with the other banks in the world. So the impact of SWIFT is, is really uh, important, I would say. And not only it is important, it is immediate. Because when we put sanctions in place, mm. we know that the, the impact of it takes a couple of weeks. But this is, is really, really uh, immediate. And, uh, and also, we're looking at many other options. But you know what, Evan? At the beginning of this week, people thought that Nord Stream 2, the important pipeline between Germany and Russia, would never be canceled. And it is canceled. People were saying we would never be ready to sanction Putin himself. It has been done. And then people were, were saying, oh, the West will never be able to uh, cut off the Russian banks from SWIFT. And now that's done. Okay. Well, there's more. Uh, some are saying, okay, these, but, you know, as you know, Vladimir Putin or his foreign minister Lavrov, though they've been sanctioned now, they have no assets here in Canada, but many others do. Is the Canadian government or your allies 
considering not only freezing Russian assets, that's been done, but seizing Russian assets? Well, we need to work with all the tools we have in our toolbox based also on the legislation that is available uh, to Canada. So that's why we're looking at what's at our disposal. Uh, but like I mentioned a bit earlier, we need to be united within the West because right. Canada, although we're not necessarily the country that has the most economic ties with Russia, we don't want uh, to have any loopholes right. in our strategy, in our approach between Europe, the UK, the US and us. Uh, so that's why we're working all coordinated in, in lockstep. Minister, let's talk about lethal weapons. Ukraine need weapons. Uh, the president, President Zelensky, refused a U.S. offer to evacuate him. He's on the ground, literally on the front lines in Kiev right now. And he said famously, I need ammunition, not a ride. Canada has sent only $7 million worth of lethal aid. You and I both know that's not a lot. The Germans have just reversed course. They're sending a 1,000 anti-tank weapons, uh, anti-air defense missiles. What is Canada sending more lethal aid? And if so, what? Will it send things like anti-tank weapons? Well, my colleague Anita Nam, the Minister of Defense, is definitely looking at different options, and I'm supporting her in doing that. Uh, we know that uh, we've already sent lethal weapons, like you mentioned. They've been successfully delivered. But also, on my part, what uh, I've been doing is to make sure that uh, we have a strong relationship with Poland because any form of delivery right. needs to go through Poland. And so that's why I was in contact on Friday with uh, my uh, Polish colleague, um, because we need to make sure that we right. secure that, that, that way of, of delivering uh, ammunition and any form of lethal aid and non-lethal aid to, to Ukraine. The Conservatives and others are asking to, for Canada to boot out the Russian ambassador. He lied about the intention not to invade. He said so on, on this program. Um, so the one question is, will he be booted out? And is your government considering asking the CRTC to revoke the broadcast, li broadcast license of Russia today, which is essentially a propaganda arm of the Russian government, so it cannot spread disinformation as it has been doing? Are those two things on the table? So to your two questions. The first one, I summoned the Russian ambassador. I looked at him in the eyes and I told him exactly what I thought and what was Canada's position. And at the same time, I've been in contact with our own ambassador to Russia. Uh, we believe that it is important to keep a diplomatic uh, link. Why? Because there's hope with the Russian people themselves right now who are bit by bit understanding what right. is happening in Kyiv, although there's lots of propaganda uh, that, uh, you know, that they're under. Talking about disinformation, definitely we're looking at RT. Uh, we, I've had many conversations with the Minister of Heritage, Pablo Rodriguez. Uh, we know that uh, RT has been banned in other countries, and that's why uh, we're looking at many of our options. But RT is not only on our broadcasting system, it is also online. And right. that's why this is something that I'm talking about with the G7 uh, in the coming hours. Okay. Uh, last, that's interesting, so we'll watch that file. Just last question for you, Minister. The fighting is brutal right now. Um, and the Ukrainians are putting up an extraordinary fight um, against uh, an overwhelming Russian force. But Vladimir Putin warned the West that any interference, and I'm going to use his words, said such consequences you will see that you have never encountered in your history. Many have interpreted this as Vladimir Putin threatening a nuclear war. 
Do, do you and your government interpret that warning that Vladimir Putin has threatened to use nuclear weapons in retaliation for Western interference? We know that uh, what uh, Vladimir Putin is doing right now is, uh, is irrational. So based on that, we're taking our decisions and we're helping Ukrainians. And I'm in close contact with many of the Ukrainian cabinet, including the chief of staff of Zelensky So, so I'm just going to say, so if it's irrational, that means you're not, obviously, it's not off the table. This could be a nuclear threat. All options are on the table, Evan. This is the biggest security threat in our generation. It is the biggest security threat right now for definitely Ukraine, Europe, but also for us. And that's why we are acting in uh, close uh, contact with our allies and taking this extremely seriously. All right, the Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie on a very tense morning. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, when we come back, resistance against Russia. How is Ukraine fighting back against a Russian invasion and what support do they need right now? We'll talk to the Ukrainian representative here in Canada next. Stay right here with Question Period. The fighting continues to rage across Ukraine at this hour. The capital, Kyiv, is under assault. The world is watching in fear the capital could fall soon. Ukrainians are putting up an extraordinary fight, thousands answering the call to take up arms. There's also, though, a humanitarian crisis unfolding as many flood the border in a bid to escape. Frankly, others are trying to get in there to help the fight. As for Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, he has refused to evacuate, even though Russian troops are targeting him. Instead, he continues to call for more ammunition. So what further support does Ukraine need to defend against Russia? And breaking news just this morning that President Zelensky has agreed to some talks with Moscow, possibly near the Ukraine-Belarusian border. What does that signify? Let's find out and bring in Andrei Bukovic. He is the charge d'affaires at the Embassy of Ukraine in Canada, Ukraine's representative here. First of all, sir, I know you're, you have family in Kyiv and many friends. We are hoping they are okay. I'm sure it's incredibly difficult for you. What is the latest going on in, in the capital in Kyiv? What's happening? Well, Russian missiles keep dropping on civilians' heads and buildings, while Russian tanks keep trying to force their way to Ukraine's capital. It's the most horrific time for Kyiv since 1941, when it was attacked by Nazi Germany. This is exactly the same. Well, the activity of submergence groups and saboteurs has increased across all Ukrainian territory. They are particularly active in Kyiv and other big cities. One of such groups yesterday shot down the family of five in Kyiv on Alegi Telegi Street when people were trying to escape. Parents are dead, as well as the Polina, a girl of the age of my daughter. Two other children are in hospital under emergency. So, and such towns as Shastia and Stanitsa Luganska, Luganska now nearly destroyed. So that's what happens right now as we speak in the heart of Europe in Ukraine's capital and, in and, Kiev. And, and we understand that there are more Russians, the Russian military are pouring in tanks coming toward Kyiv. In other words, the battle might will intensify around the capital. Yes, exactly. This is what happens. And we also are getting reports that some uh, airborne uh, troops will land in and around Kyiv. So uh, our armed forces and territorial defense uh, from civilians were expecting this attack uh, quite soon. So there are sporadic uh, 
attacks by uh, military by uh, Russian machinery uh, in different regions of capital. So there are ongoing fights on streets of uh, on uh, on streets of Kiev. What, t tell us about these talks. Word just now, as you and I are speaking, that there that President Zelensky has agreed with some kind of talks with Moscow, with Russia, possibly at the Belarusian border. What does that signal? Can you give us any details? Well, uh, even before the cynical uh, invasion, before uh, Russia declared this war of choice, not a war of necessity, President Zelensky has been talking all the time, has been telling all the time, we're open for all kinds of negotiations just to prevent war and human suffering. Now, uh, the position has not changed much, but there are certain red lines, there are price that Ukrainians paid with their lives, with their blood. So uh, I don't think there is something easy solutions. So let's imagine uh, the uh, talks will happen somewhere. The place uh, indeed doesn't matter, but what the condition? The total withdrawal of troops, the filing, uh, filing of criminal case in International Criminal Court in Hague. So UN Charter should be restored. So there are heavy price Ukrainian people have paid in are paying right now. And you can't just let it go and say, okay, just go away and we are fine. So a lot of Ukrainian cities and towns are destroyed, nearly destroyed. Mm. The, the damage for infrastructure is not critical yet, but somewhere there, the humanitarian disaster is approaching. So still we are good uh, with food and other supplies. But it's a matter of days, perhaps weeks, when something terrible, uh, more, even more terrible, will right. start. Will start with civilian. That's what we see right now in the heart, in so, 21st century, in the heart of Europe. So, so if there are talks and they do happen, the, the Ukrainian position is not only a total withdrawal of Russian forces, but also compensation and criminal charges. So the you know, and the Russians have already said, yeah, we'll stop if you put down your arms. So there's. Even though there's talks, we're hearing about folks, be very careful. These are early and they may mean nothing, but at least there's something. Uh, the West has now come in with sanctions, uh, the, the partial uh, booting out of some uh, Russian banks from SWIFT. Uh, what does Ukraine need besides the sanctions right now? What other ammunition or what do you need from Canada right now? Well, we, we need protection for our civilians who are ready to take arms and defend their land and home. We need uh, arms, uh, we need uh, medication, we need uh, other supplies because, as I told you, even on the west of Ukraine, where are more comparatively less, uh, uh, less Russian attacks, uh, there are a lot of people who are fleeing from Kyiv and other areas, so humanitarian disaster is coming. But our first demand, we have to be clear, this is exactly what Hitler did in 1939, this is exactly the same situation. So, so, so Canada has sent seven million dollars of lethal weapons, but they're small arms. What specifically? What kind of armaments, lethal weaponry, do you need from Canada? Well, uh, I have to say that Ukrainian armed forces are doing well, together with uh, brave Ukrainians who pr uh, protect their homes. I have the statistics, and not going deep into the details, the uh, military personnel military uh, personnel of Russian armed forces, they've lost uh, 4,300 people. I mean, this is like 
exactly the losses Soviet Union and Russia suffered after, uh, for four years after invasion in Afghanistan. Can you imagine that? Right. So, so we need more. We need more arms and ammunition. We need anti-air systems, and we need total isolation of Russia from civilized world. In economic area, in financial area, in aviation, everywhere. Charge, uh, just last thing. Um, uh, we hear this morning Vladimir Putin has also ordered nuclear his nuclear deterrence force on high alert. What message does that send? This is the message to the West, to Brussels, to Washington, to Ottawa. Just uh, don't help Ukraine. Stay away from the conflict. Let me finish my genocide. Otherwise, you will be attacked by our, by, by our nuclear forces. This is quite clear. I know you have a lot of personal uh, connections. Your family is in Kiev. Many of your fam family and friends, I know many of them are fighting in the streets. I want to just thank you for taking your time this morning. You've been extraordinary to give your time, and, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Andre Burkvich, uh, the Charge d'Affaires in the Embassy of Ukraine in Canada. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Coming up, as the war continues, the humanitarian crisis continues, and the Ukraine's put up this extraordinarily brave fight, there is a global economic fallout. The markets are reacting to Russia's unprovoked attack on Ukraine. What are the long-term impacts? Coming up next, the former Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polas joins us. He's got a new book out on the age of uncertainty. You're living in it right now. Stay right here with Question Period. A war in Europe, oil prices ripped past $100 a barrel for the first time since 2014, a global pandemic. The age of uncertainty is certainly here. But as the brutal and illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine continues and the world teeters on the brink of another unthinkable war in Europe, there's also a global economic fallout. Even before the war, inflation in Canada hit 5.1% in January, a 30-year high, and the Russian attack on Ukraine is expected to put energy prices even higher, including what you pay at the pump. Now, this type of volatility is the very center of a new book by the former governor of the Bank of Canada, Stephen Polaz. It's actually called The Next Age of Uncertainty. What timing? He covers everything from the economic chaos caused by politics or climate change to technological change, even the housing crisis. But what is the immediate economic fallout of Russia's attack on Ukraine? And how can governments and how can you prepare to survive this age of uncertainty? Let's find out. Joining me now is the former Governor of the Bank of Canada and now the Special Advisor at Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, Stephen Polos. Sir, good to have you back on the program. Every time we talk, it seems there's another global crisis. So let's start with the immediate one. Um, what is the immediate global economic impact of the war in Ukraine? Well, look, I mean, I think this is another reminder, uh, like we've seen over recent months, Evan, that uh, we are surrounded by fragilities, uh, whether they are economic ones, supply chain ones, financial ones, or political ones, or geopolitical ones. And I think uh, we're, we're, in general, not that well prepared for this kind of uncertainty. The natural inclination for an economist, when something like this happens, to get, get their pencil out, sharpen it, and start doing the arithmetic around what this can do, what God can do, and refine their forecasts. I think it's more, the point is, this elevates uncertainty in so many dimensions What's your natural tendency to do when you're really unsure of what's going to happen next? You freeze. And I think that's the most important uh, element of this, is that people who make business decisions or economic decisions will stop. 
and hold off and wait and see. This last week, you saw Germany halted the Nord Stream 2 Baltic Sea uh, gas pipeline from Russia. That was supposed to get natural gas from Russia to Germany. Russia exports 70% of its natural gas to Germany and the EU. Um, there's a threat now from Vladimir Putin that he could just turn it off to, EU, to the EU, turn, turn off the, the energy. What, what's your sense of where energy markets are going? Are people about to see a spike in energy prices? Well, it looks like it. We've already seen a pretty significant spike in both gas prices and, of course, oil prices. Uh, this was happening just because of the economic recovery and underinvestment in the traditional energy sectors over the last uh, three, four years. Uh, it seems like we've got a bit of a, a rather a, a disconnect or, if you like, a, not a fully planned energy transition. We all know by 2050 we're going to be you know, back to net, net zero emissions somehow, but that path between here and there is quite ill-defined. And if you get ahead of yourself on one part of that track, then of course you can create a shortage uh, that doesn't allow for the natural process of convergence. So of course, with uh, when, when warfare, warfare, I mean, we know everybody gets hurt, warfare both sides. Economic warfare is no different. Uh, you start cutting this off, cutting that off, well, it hurts both sides. But that doesn't mean they're going to last very long. Last night, the West took the extraordinary step of booting certain Russian banks out of something called SWIFT. That's the International System of Banking Transactions. Most people may not even have heard of it. Can you explain, A, why uh, that is so significant and what it would mean to kick Russia out of the SWIFT transaction financial system? Yeah, well, the SWIFT system is our main international platform for moving money uh, between counterparties that are registered in the SWIFT platform. Uh, imagine, imagine if you were cut off from your bank, Evan, and you, you've, over the next two to four weeks, you pay all your bills automatically, perhaps, uh, through your bank account, or you sit down on your, your iPad and you uh, pay your bills and what have you. Well, to be cut off from your bank would be somehow finding a way, another way, you know, to do those things. Um, the issue here is not, so if you cut them off, that's very inconvenient. It would be very inconvenient for you, but somehow you would, you would get a different bank or you'd manage. And that's exactly, I think, what Russia would do. They would find another way uh, to get things done, uh, similar to what we saw with Iran. It's not a foolproof weapon. Governor, just one last question about the war, and I want to move to your book, The Age of Uncertainty, although this is, the, I think the uh, cycle of uncertainty is speeding up. Um, does this war, there's, inflation has is, is been the big topic, as you know. There's lots of pressures, supply chain <clears throat> pressures and others on inflation. Um, does, the, does this crisis extend the inflationary crisis past where we are now and, and, and longer and higher? Uh, I, I'm not sure that that would be the case, Evan. I mean, I, I, of course, I honestly, I don't know. Uh, and that's the first thing. I, I, I must say that. Uh, but if it fuels a higher higher profile for uh, oil and, and natural gas prices, then of course they will find their way into the top part of our CPI for the next few months. If if those prices stayed roughly where they are, I'd expect inflation to to actually decelerate decelerate through the course of 22 because we're we're incorporating the big run up in prices that happened a year ago now into the base of our calculation. So in addition, I've read some good things from uh, companies like Walmart, Canadian Tire, who are managing their supply chain issues quite well, did so actually during Christmas. So that's encouraging that people are solving the supply chain issues.
If they don't keep getting worse, they won't keep adding to inflation. Governor, you know, one thing about a crisis is you start focusing narrowly on the immediate, on tomorrow. You know, people are yeah. wondering what's going to happen in Ukraine and what's Russia going to do. I understand that. But part of what you've done in your book is you talk about the bigger picture, and a lot of folks are wondering how they can future-proof yourself. What are the, you know, outside of the war, the pandemic, what are the five kind of key forces that you're watching for that people ought to keep an eye on that whatever happens with this crisis, these remain the driving forces of uncertainty? Yeah, these things are almost invisible, though not all of them, uh, Evan. Uh, one, one is the most obvious to all of us, population aging. You know, the old economist joke, a year from now, we're all going to be a year older. Uh, that's not exactly news. Uh, but the fact is, many of us, people like me, entered the workforce after the post-war baby boom, and now we're exiting the workforce. That's a pretty big phenomenon affecting the workforce, economic growth, uh, interest rates, and of course, one of the ways it'll manifest itself is a shortage of workers uh, for companies. Technological progress is the other big force. With that comes growing income inequality. We've seen plenty of news about that lately. 70% or more of global citizens have, have, have uh, lived in rising inequality over the past 10 years. That's, that's a really significant thing. A lot of people begin to feel left out. They left, left behind. They blame globalization. They blame technology. Yes, it's all these things. And rising debt. Well, we've always talked about debt, you and I. Uh, but look what happened to debt during the uh, pandemic. Uh, governments borrowed over 20% of global GDP uh, to manage the stresses of the pandemic. That's a big increase in debt. And finally, climate change, which is front and center right now. Those five things, many of them are personal, Evan. So when anything that bothers you personally, that becomes a political issue because what matters to people matters to your politicians. And politicians are becoming increasingly polarized around these kinds of stresses. And this makes me skeptical that politics is going to manage to solve our problems for us. Former governor of the Bank of Canada, Stephen Polas, sir, um, your book is well-timed for a profoundly uncertain time in our lives. Thank you. appreciate your time today. It's my pleasure, Evan. Take care. All right, still to come, are sanctions enough? Canada and the West impose severe sanctions on Russia. Is that enough to stop the invasion? Canada's ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray, joins us next on The Scrum. Stay right here with Question Peter. The full-scale illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine has been met by the West with severe packages of economic sanctions, hitting Russian banks, business entities, the president himself, Vladimir Putin. And now the West is blocking certain Russian banks from having access to something called SWIFT, that's the international banking system. The Russians saw this coming, sanctions at least, and it has not done a thing to deter them. In fact, last month when I spoke to the Russian ambassador to Canada, he not only told me that Russia was not preparing to invade, that was of course a lie, but he said that sanctions from the West would have no impact. Check this out. Sanctions never uh, make uh, countries uh, to change uh, their political course. But this is a new extraordinary package of sanctions. Will these work? Did the international community underestimate Vladimir Putin's appetite for a full-scale war? 
talk about that. The Scrum is here. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Tonda McCharles, Parliamentary Reporter with the Toronto Star. And our special guest this round is Bob Ray. He is the Canadian Ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, good to see you all on another extraordinary day, Bob Ray. Ambassador Ray, uh, your reaction to the uh, Western nations cutting off certain number of Russian banks from SWIFT, and what signal overall does that send to the Russians? I think we're squeezing the Russians pretty hard, and I think that's good. That's what we should be doing. Um, I think there will be more steps to come in the future because it, it is having an impact and will have an even greater impact. We have to undermine the Russian economy, and we have to undermine the confidence that the people of Russia have in their leader, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, Tonda, Canada was, was working hard to do this. What does this tell you about this package of sanctions that the world is now um, issuing against Russia? Well, potentially it can really affect Russia's ability to, to deal in a whole range of affairs. Um, it's targeted a number of Russian banks and financial institutions. There may still be more to come in that. But what I was struck by over the weekend is, uh, you know, Friday, we were talking about European countries who weren't willing to do this. Mm. Uh, today, we see Germany's all in, Italy's all in, Japan has come on board. So this is a, a very uh, concerted display of strength and unity among Western allies. And I'm not sure, you know, if we've seen that before. And, uh, like, hopefully that pressure will keep up because uh, at least we've heard now Russia talking about the possibility of some kind of negotiation somewhere. Yeah, jo Joyce, weigh in on that. An extraordinary, uh, the speed at which the West has allied on sanctions, but also now on sending armaments into Ukraine. Well, yes. I mean, look at Germany. A few days ago, as Tonda was saying, they were saying no, no, and, uh, and, and they have sent uh, lethal aid to Ukraine and also increased uh, their military budget by $100 million a year. So, you know, there is a, an effort by, by, by the Allies, by, by NATO, which, which uh, this has breathed a new life into NATO. I mean, a few years ago, we were talking about whether this was an alliance that was, you know, obsolete. Mm. So, the, you know, what's happening is it's uniting the world and also uniting uh, the people of Ukraine. There's, a, there's, there's fire in their belly. I mean, clearly this president, um, you know, who a few weeks ago even was thought to be perhaps weak. The Russian th Russians thought he was going to flee. Uh, they were so sure. So they have underestimated the situation in Ukraine anyway and the resolve of the people and of the president. Uh, you're right to point out uh, President Zelensky is emerging as an extraordinary figure. Bob Ray, just, just pick up on that, on the shift in the international order. Uh, as Joyce just pointed out, Germany broke a long-standing uh, um, pattern of not sending weapons to conflict zones. They sent over a thousand anti-tank weapons. What's what's next from 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 the international community? And and is Russia now isolated? I think I think apart from Belarus, who they've taken over, uh, Russia is is isolated. Uh, he wasn't able to raise troops from Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan said no. Uh, he's he's uh, he's in a very He's in a very per perilous position, I, be I believe, but we can't let up. And I think this is a thing we have to emphasize. What, what this shows, Evan, is uh, something about public opinion that I've always said. Events matter and leadership matters. Uh, and we're, we've seen events changing and we've seen leadership change. And leadership has come from President Zelensky, but it's also come from the entire people of Ukraine. They're showing how resistance can actually turn the tide. And now it's up to us to fill, to fill in, to back up, to do all we can on sanctions, 
to do all we can on supplying the weapons and the arms that they're going to need. Mm. Uh, but we're entering into a very difficult phase. Belarus is is, is sending in its own troops. Uh, it's go, it's going to continue to be very challenging. But we really all have to step up. This is this is democracy's moment in real time that we're watching. Well, and I think Bob Ray, Bob Ray's right, uh, Tonda. This is a long game now. It's not going to end tomorrow. Um, does Canada now, what are the pressure for Canada, for example, on lethal weapons, sending more lethal weapons to Ukraine, Tonda? There's great pressure, and um, to date we've seen Canada put on standby 3,400 extra troops in case NATO requires them. Um, but Canada so far has sort of put all its efforts on the diplomatic side and trying to coordinate allies. I mean, we're, let's face it, a small middle power. There's probably not as many military experts have told me a big arsenal gap there that Canada can rush into fill, given UK and US. But look, I think that, uh, you know, the tr there's tremendous pressure now on governments everywhere to A, look united among themselves internationally, but domestically as well, to show united fronts that everybody's basically on side for this, that there is no daylight between political leaders across the West. Last word on this one, one to you, Joyce. Canada now has uh, been uh, uh, you know, leading and, and part of the, the big sanctions. Uh, what else does Canada need to step up? What are you looking for next? Well, I think what Canada is looking for is uh, to protect those other uh, countries, neighboring countries that are not part of NATO. Moldova uh, is one of them. He spoke with the president uh, this weekend. The prime minister uh, uh, spoke with, with the president. You know, they, there is... Uh, there is a danger that uh, uh, we know that this is an expansionist president, the Russian president. He will go into countries that are not part of NATO. Uh, he thinks that that will paralyze uh, the allies, but it doesn't seem to be working. I think that, you know, Mr. Putin has underestimated the situation. All right. Uh, lots to come. As a, this is Democracy's Moment, as Ambassador Ray said. Uh, Bob Ray, Tanya McCharles, I appreciate both of you joining us this morning. I know Joyce is going to stick around. Lots more to come after the break. We continue our coverage of the battle for Ukraine. Did Vladimir Putin make a nuclear threat to the West to try to ward off intervention? And what is his final objective? Retired Major General Dave Fraser joins us. So does Bill Browder, who led a global movement to sanction Vladimir Putin and his allies, someone Vladimir Putin desperately wants to imprison. They both join us next on The Scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. war as the invasion of Ukraine continues, there is one key question. What is Vladimir Putin's final objective? Have the massive package of sanctions by the West isolated him? Look, it's difficult to understand Putin's calculation or his miscalculation. Being a global pariah does not seem to bother him. One telling clue, Vladimir Putin likes to use the famous quote from Tsar Alexander who said, Russia only has two allies, the army and the navy. So what will stop Putin, and where does this war go now? To answer all that, the Scrum returns. Uh, Joyce Napier, our CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief, is back. Our special guest this round, retired Major General and CTV military analyst Dave Fraser, who commanded troops in Afghanistan, and Bill Browder, who is the architect of the Magnitsky-style sanctions, which seek targeted punishments to human rights abusers. Sergei Magnitsky, of course, was his partner who was murdered in Russian custody, and Mr. Browder has been the target of Vladimir Putin under the Interpol Red Notice. Uh, good to have everyone back here. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Bill Browder, uh, very quickly because the SWIFT, this extraordinary uh, change in direction, the sanctions, uh, uh, the SWIFT sanctions and the sanctions on Vladimir Putin, what impact will that have? And you know Vladimir Putin. What impact might this be having on him now? 
Well, it's 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 really the the most dramatic um, thing that that can be done uh, to Putin and to Russia. I should point out that that this is not unplugging Russia entirely from the SWIFT banking system, which is what I would recommend doing. This is unplugging a number of Russian major Russian banks from the Swiss, SWIFT system. So there are loopholes and workarounds that are still available to the Russians. Having said that, uh, you could see immediately um, images of, of Russians standing in line this morning at ATMs, desperately trying to get cash out. Um, this in conjunction with the uh, European Central Bank freezing assets of the Russian Central Bank uh, will make it impossible for the central bank to intervene on the ruble. So you'll see um, when the currency markets open that the ruble will significantly devalue. And uh, this will affect every single Russian in a very profound and personal way. And the Russians will be asking themselves the question, why are we doing this? What, what you know, for all this pain that we're personally suffering, why am I standing in line at an ATM for this guy, Vladimir Putin, who's launching a war against our Ukrainian brothers we've got no beef with? And, and um, that, that, that's kind of the intention, I think. Uh, Major General Fraser, and first of all, always thanks for your service. Your military assessment of, of the Russian attack so far and the objective. I know there's a lot of attention saying that it's not gone as planned, that the Ukrainians who are fighting incredibly uh, bravely back, but is it too early to, to, to suggest this is, quote, going badly for the Russians? What's your view? It is too early to say it's going badly. It's only day five. After about three or four days, there's going to be a resupply anyway that might affect the the momentum, but going back to your opening comments here, while SWIFT seems to be having an impact, uh, that makes Putin uh, more dangerous. He will lean even more on the Army and the Navy to uh, to do even more to prosecute this operation, to, to decapitate uh, the Zelensky and the Ukrainian leadership in the city. And so we've got to be careful that uh, good news doesn't turn into bad news by forcing the hand of the uh, Russians to do more. And let's not forget that they still think about Grozny and how, how dangerous that was. And the second thing, I w the last thing I would say is, what are the Western leaders going to do next now that they've got the pressure on Putin and all these measures and whatnot? What's our next move? Because Putin now is going to become more, far more dangerous and Ukrainian civilians are going to suffer his wrath. Yeah, Joyce, over to you, because, of course, this has pushed, as you've said earlier, the NATO alliance closer together. But, of course, Russia's pushing ever closer to the NATO border. Yes, but there's nothing like a common enemy to make people, to, to wake people up and, uh, you know, to make them lock arms. Um, you know, the propaganda machine that, uh, that is incredible, uh, the Russian propaganda machine, may not be working for very long. So, you know, if the Allies are, are playing a long game, and he is, and, and so is Mr. Mr. Putin, um, people lining up at, at banking machines to get their money out uh, when the Russian people will feel the pain of this because they're still calling it a, a, a special military operation, not an invasion. You're not allowed to say war. Um, but, you know, the people will notice. The people will notice the economic crunch. Uh, right. They will notice it in their wallets and they will turn against him. It is, it's inevitable. And the people of Ukraine, you know, he underestimated them as well. And, you know, if he does eventually do what he wants to do, which is eliminate Zelensky, he will turn him into a martyr and he will have to deal with that. Uh, so, you know, you want to occupy a country that uh, doesn't want an occupier. Well, that's that's that doesn't doesn't bode well for uh, for the Russians, not for the Russian army either. We're trying to understand Vladimir Putin. Bill Browder, you you. you 
obviously he's been you've been tangling with him for a long time. Uh, we hear this morning reports that there's potential uh, negotiated talks with the Ukrainian delegation in Belarus. Of course, Belarus, a client state, or now maybe even part of Russia. It's hard to even determine. How seriously do you take Russian negotiations, or is this yet another feint, another lie, another deception? It's pure theater. Uh, Vladimir Putin doesn't negotiate. He doesn't back down. He can't lose face. He, he, his culture is one of a prison yard um, where he has to be the, the toughest guy in the prison yard. Um, if there is a negotiation, as they say, it will be Russia showing up and telling Ukrainians, uh, lay down your arms and surrender and become part of Russia. That's the only negotiating position he has. And so we shouldn't put any faith, any hope, and we shouldn't let this uh, divide our resolve that he's somehow ready to negotiate right now. On that note, Major General Fraser, Putin threatened earlier that any Western interference would lead to consequences never seen in your entire history. There are concerns now that if he is backed into a corner or it's not going as well, uh, things could get worse. Do you, did you interpret that as a nuclear threat? Is that an option now? Oh, that's an option, but I think he's got other options. And I think the, the first one he'll use is uh, cyber uh, attacks and whatnot to counter anyone that's uh, attacking him. I think the other thing he's going to try to do is close the back door into Ukraine from Poland, uh, where, in fact, all the supplies are coming in to support the Ukrainian defense here. Uh, we've got to think like how Putin thinks, and Putin's going to get really mean here, and he's going to start using all his muscle uh, from the cyber to uh, interdicting inter uh, uh, the supply chain into Ukraine so he can prosecute this uh, to his uh, ends that he wants. This is going to get ugly. I, I got to leave it there. Um, and the Ukrainian people at the front. Uh, Bill Browder, uh, General Fraser, Joyce Napier, great to have the three of you on. I know these conversations continue. Of course, that is question period for this week. Canada, of course, home to the second largest Ukrainian diaspora in the world. So many Canadians, many families have many connections across this country. There's a difficult and dangerous time ahead. We will continue our coverage tomorrow on CTV PowerPlay at 5 p.m. Eastern on News Channel. Please hug your loved ones. Think about those families in Ukraine who are not getting a chance to do that right now. We'll be back here in seven short days.